sing hymns, sing praises to God, even with the, the freedom and the opportunities that we have in this country. Not many places in the world can do this, where they can worship God in peace without being molested or harmed because they would even sing the words of King Jesus as we sang a moment ago. Those lines come from the book of Matthew and Jesus' teaching. We will take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew the 7th chapter, we're going to walk through this chapter, study it together. As Jesus concludes uh, his teachings, his comments, men have called this section the Sermon on the Mountain because Jesus goes up on the mountain to teach the folks about what it is to be a citizen of his kingdom. What is that going to look like? They knew how to act and conduct themselves under the old law, but what is it going to look like to be a citizen of Christ? And that's where you find the Beatitudes in the beginning of Matthew 5. It's not talking about separate people. It's talking about the attitudes of one individual, that they have become a citizen. When you come to Matthew 7, what we find is he's giving them a crossroads. He's giving them decisions they have to make. And our reading came from the middle of this chapter about the narrow gate and about the wide gate and broad way. There are two paths that we're going to take in this life. We'll either choose to follow Jesus Christ or we'll choose to ignore him and follow our own way. Now that's a very controversial statement. I mean, there's not many people who want to stand behind that today or say, you'll either follow Christ or you'll disobey him. We have many that say, I love Jesus. Right? That's a common thing. You'll probably see many in this community that say, I love Christ. But will we do what he says? That's what we're going to look at this morning. In Matthew 7, you're at a crossroads. And we find in verses 1 through 6, we're going to decide if we will judge righteous judgment or not. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you use, you'll be judged. And with the measure you used, it'll be measured back unto you. Now, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank, a beam is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast pearl before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. The first crossroads he talks about us being at is we need to decide whether or not we're going to be hypocrites. We read verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. And most folks will stop right there, especially when you're trying to teach them the truth. And they'll say, well, you're judging me, right? You looked at my life. And we've read scripture and studied together, and you, there's sin in my life, and you're judging me. Now, you don't know the words of Jesus because he says, judge not that you be not judged. But Jesus is not talking about don't consider my life and change. Jesus is talking about, in the context, the Pharisees and the way that they acted. They were supposed to be their leaders, but they acted like hypocrites. Mark your place here in Matthew 7. Turn to chapter 23 with me. In 23 verses 2 through 4, as some of his final comments in Jerusalem, he deals with the scribes and the Pharisees and their sins. Look at Matthew 23 verses 2 to 4. There Christ says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. 
They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But what are they doing? He says, they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. What a sad situation that is. The scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites. Now Christ says, they sit in Moses' seat. You listen to what they teach. They were the authority in that day. They are your spiritual leaders. They will teach you the truth. But they won't start to do it themselves. So whatever they teach you, do it. But don't do anything that they do. Christ says those in his kingdom are not going to act like that. We need to repent. Hypocrite, remove the plank from your own eye. You'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't live like hypocrites. We have to make sure we are right with Christ and help others to be right with Christ. Just look at this example in Matthew 7 Jesus uses. It's a bit ridiculous, but the, it's to get the point across. Think about that. I have a plank. I have a beam in my own eye. But then I look to Mike and say, well, you've got some dust in your eye. What would he say to that? He said, you have a problem. There is a four by four beam coming out of your head. And you're worried about, oh, I have some dust in my eye, right? Jesus is saying, we have to get ourselves under control. We have to make sure we are right with Christ before we go out and are trying to help others. We've got to help ourselves first and get right. So remove this. It can be removed. It's not like in the flesh where there's a problem with my body and it cannot be restored. He says, if you have a problem, remove it. You can be restored in him. So we need to repent of that. You know, in Romans chapter 2, Jesus, of course, talking to Jewish people in the book of Matthew. Well, Paul is still dealing with this same group of people in Romans chapter 2. He's dealing with Jews. In Romans chapter 2, verse 21 to 24, he says they're still having this problem of living like a hypocrite. Or they're acting like, okay, we're God's children. So it'll be all right just as long as we teach and talk about the truth. Look there, verse 21. You there who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Do you practice what you preach? We use that phrase. Do you practice what you're telling other people to do? He says, you're telling folks don't steal. Well, do you steal from folks? That's what we talk about, right? He let him that stole steal no longer. That's what Paul says. Rather labor with his hands what is good. So are we telling people don't steal, but then I'm not giving my employer all the hours? I know folks like that. They're generally not Christians that act that way, but they'll, they'll be working, and then they'll find a place to go hide for a while, and they don't have to do as much, and then, oh, they come back in, and... Whenever the paychecks get handed out, they're there. But other times, they're gone, right? Can't find them. Can't find any help. That's, Paul says, don't be like that. Don't steal. Don't steal time. Don't steal money. Verse 22, do, you, do not commit adultery is what they're saying. They're preaching. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? That's a little odd phrasing, but for us that we use but you who abhor idols you say you don't like the idols and then you're going around and partaking with things that were with the false temples you're you're robbing them in that sense you're just using things that they've got but yet you say oh I'm not for the idols 
Do you do that? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? We say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm following the Bible, and then do you just not do it? So things for us to consider. Paul says in verse 24, he's quoting the prophet Ezekiel, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, it is written. Now the prophet Ezekiel was sent to the Lord's people after they'd been taken into captivity. They had sinned. The children of Judah had sinned, and God was punishing them. Now Ezekiel's coming, bringing the word, saying you need to repent. Because guess what? Not only did you sin, and it caused a problem that you had to go into captivity, everybody else is looking at you, and they say, those people don't really follow God. How powerful can God actually be? His own people can't even follow him. I pray that's not the case with us. We just had an encouraging weekend of, of song and praise to God that we will want to follow him. And those songs that we sang, we're making promises to God. And some of Brother Rouse's songs that he wrote, when he's writing those songs, in those songs is promises we're making to God. Are we keeping those things so that the name of God is not blasphemed? Pray that we do it. See, Jesus says it's possible. If we have fallen into that, we can come out of it. Remove it. It can be removed. We can repent. But we need to be wise with what we are doing. Satan wants us to play the hypocrite because it's easy. We just say one thing and do something else. We're an actor in that case. But we need to consider that. We're at a crossroads. Will we do what he says or will we just say nice things and go our own way? You look back to Matthew 7, there's another crossroads that's talked about. It's, it was in the hymn that we sung a moment ago about ask, seek, and knock. Verses 7 to 12 is where we'll be reading from. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. For every man who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And in him who knocks it shall be opened. What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Am I asking and seeking and knocking, or am I ignoring him completely? Those are two two paths, two ways we can take. Of course, we see this attitude uh, talked about in his earlier text, Matthew 5 and verse number 6, about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They are seeking spiritual food. They are seeking to follow after righteousness. And Christ says they're going to be filled. Do I do that? He says you ask and you seek and you knock. Now, it's not for one time. I didn't just ask the one time, oh he, oh, he filled me and I'm good to go forever. No, it's continual. It's in the present tense, verse 7 is. You ask, you seek, you knock. I'm desiring to go after Christ. So there is work involved. There is prayer. Am I asking God for help in my life? How's my prayer life with God? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. There's this desire to follow after Christ. You know, James says, whenever we do ask and we do pray, in this case talking about wisdom, but in James, the first chapter, in verse 6, they're asking for help in their trials. When he asks for wisdom and help in that time, let him ask in faith, James will say, with no doubting. 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let him ask in faith. Let him ask no doubting. Do I ask with no doubting or do I ask not even knowing if Christ can even hear me? It's a sad thing if we get stuck in that condition that Satan has so discouraged us that we don't even think our prayers could be heard before the seat of God. He says, ask, seek, knock, follow after this word. We can ask knowing that he will give us good things. How are we going to know? How are we going to know if we ask and seek and knock that that door is going to be opened, that the item I'm looking for, the truth that I'm looking for will be found? Christ says, I'll give you an example. How do you know I'm going to do what I've said? Verse 9 and 10. Look at you sinful men. You, you haven't kept the law fully. You sin and you fail. And yet, look at this relationship between the Father and the Son. What man is there among you if the Son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If Timothy asks for bread, is Andy going to give him a stone? No, he's not going to. He's his Father. He's going to look after him. What man is there among you if he if the, asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If his sons ask for fish, is Mark going to give them a serpent? No. He's a good father, right? He's going to take care of them. God says, you're sinful men, and you know how to take care of your children. I'm God, and I'm always good. Don't you think I know how to take care of you? Don't you think I'll listen to you, right? If you being evil know how to give good gifts, more, much more will the Father give good things to those who ask. Don't you know that he'll be give good things to them? Now he says... Whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them. We might think this is a little odd being placed here, but he's talking about, I've just given you good things, right? The end of the verse. God's given good things to those who ask of him. Now, if I'm a Christian and I'm a citizen in his kingdom, wouldn't I treat my brethren the way that I've been treated? Whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them. This is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were trying to teach them about their relationship with God, trusting and relying in God and obeying Him, and also dealing with one another. If I've been a blessed individual, why wouldn't I want to share that? Why wouldn't I want to encourage others in that way? And so we see there's a decision to make. Will I ask, seek, and knock after the truth, after Christ? Or will I ignore him and say, I've figured out my own way, I'm good enough. There's a decision there to be made. God is saying, there's good things if you follow me, but there's no telling what's going to happen. No telling the heartaches and hardships you're going to have outside of me. And then we come to verse 13 and 14. Here is the crossroad. Two ways. Enter by the narrow gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads unto destruction. Many there be who go in by it. As narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads into life. Few there be who find it. Two paths. You notice that? Two ways. This world tells us we can just sort of trailblaze our own path and we'll end up to God. Whatever that looks like. Here our Lord Jesus Christ says there'll be two ways. One is very wide. One's very broad. And one is very narrow. You ever hear statements like that whenever you're teaching and talking to someone about the truth and they say, Andy, that's very narrow of you to teach it that way. 
You know what I'm going to tell you, neighbor? The way to life is just as narrow as Jesus Christ. That's how narrow it is. Why? Because the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's just as narrow as Jesus Christ. The gate is just as narrow as Jesus Christ. Why? John chapter 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. It, he's, it's him. That's how narrow it is. And so those who would hear and obey, that's the message he's conveying here in the 7th chapter of Matthew. Those who would hear him and obey him, that's how narrow it is. So when you think about that description of the narrow way, no wonder the wide gate and the broad way is so broad, it's taking everybody else, right? Whether you're diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ, whether you want to follow him a little bit and do the rest of the things yourself, whether you just want to say, I love Jesus and never do a thing that he says, it'll take all of you. So it's a, it's a really broad spectrum. It's a really wide way because it's taken in everybody else that doesn't want to obey Jesus Christ. It's a wide way. And now you have a decision. Which path am I going to take? And Jesus being the loving shepherd and the good teacher that he is, he's going to tell us what those paths go to. What does the narrow way lead to? What does the broad way lead to? You know, sometimes we're traveling around and our GPS doesn't work and we come to a crossroad. We don't know where we're going to end up. I could turn left here. I could turn right here. Where are we going to go? You don't know. There's no telling. Matthew 7, Jesus says, I'll tell you there's two ways, and I'll tell you where both of them's going to go. And you can take a decision from there. He says, the narrow way, the narrow gate, the difficult way, will lead to your life, eternal life. You hear and obey, you'll get life. If you take the broad way, you'll go to destruction. Now, which way you want to go, that'll be up to you. But I've told you which way. And the life of a Christian and following Christ is difficult. Of course, our Lord Jesus just said that. But if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul will communicate this again. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. There the Apostle says, Yea, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. First talk about shall suffer persecution. He didn't say it's a possibility, it might happen. He's saying it will. It will happen. Hard things will happen to us. Now, the Apostle Paul also says that the trials that he faced could in no way compare to the glory at the end of time. The glory in heaven. It's in no way going to compare to that but we have a decision to make. Am I going to stick it out with Jesus Christ and obey him? Or will I take the broad way? And yeah, it's easier. Oh, everybody's having a fun time going down that way because it's so easy. But it'll lead to my destruction. What will I do? You look back to Matthew 7, there's also a crossroads. Since we've talked about we can choose whether or not to be a hypocrite, we can choose whether to seek after him or ignore him, we can choose to take the narrow gate, or the broad. And then he talks about, in beginning verse 15 down through verse 20, what type of tree are we going to be? What type of tree are we going to be? He says there in beginning verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes 
or they gather figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What type of tree are we going to be? We come to verse 15. Here's, our, here's the hypocrite coming back again. Right? There's some hypocrites that more or less they're just lazy. They just don't want to do it. Then there's some folks who act like hypocrites because verse 15, they want to overthrow the good things that Christ has been doing. That the church and those who obey Christ have been involved in. Because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know what the word hypocrite means? It doesn't mean somebody, oh, so wicked and scheming. Hypocrite just means an actor. It's the Greek word for actor. So think about this for a minute. We have actors today. I'm sure you all have some of your favorite ones. Robert Downey Jr. is not Iron Man all the time. That's not how he lives, right? He just plays that in the movie. It's not actually that. He doesn't actually have a suit that can fight guys. You know, John Wayne is not the various cowboys that he played in all his movies. He's not a cowboy. But that's just the character he played. Here are folks, verse 15, they are wearing the sheep's clothing. They might appear to be Christians, but they're not really. They're just acting. They're just putting on a show. And in this case, not to provide entertainment on the TV, they're putting on a show so they can take you away from Christ. That's why they're putting on a show. So he says, how am I going to know them then, right? They're wearing the sheep's clothing. How am I going to know them, Jesus? Here's how you'll know them. By the fruit that they bear. They can't be a lamb, act like a lamb forever. They can't always act that way because they're not. You're going to see things that they do that's not like Christ. They've got the bad tree. There's bad fruit, and you will see it. You can see some examples of bad fruit and good fruit in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Why don't you turn there with me? Galatians, the fifth chapter. Here in Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 19. He's, the apostle Paul here is giving contrast between works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So, Essentially, the things that would be evil and what evil folks would do and the things that the children of God would do and produce. So let's look at this together. Verse 19 to 21 is like an example of bad fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and such like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So they're not inheriting the kingdom. It's bad fruit. But our society today says, those are things that are fine with us. Adultery? Fornication? Let's take adultery, for example. Our society says, and we've uh, hit on this in Bible class, they said, well, if you get married to somebody, but then you decide to, to marry another because you just now found your true love, that's okay. 
Now, the Lord says that's adultery, but our world says, well, you're just finding your true love. Fornication. It's becoming so common for young people to commit fornication before they leave high school that you're almost the odd one out if you haven't. That's how prevalent it's become. Fornication's prevalent. Uncleanness and lewdness is prevalent. Because you know what our society says? Sex sells. So they'll make the most sexual scene to sell their products, plaster it across the TV. They say, that's normal. Idolatry, serving anything besides God. We talked about money a little bit in our Bible class. Serving money. All right, we'll serve money. We'll serve things. We'll serve a relationship more than we'll serve God. That's idolatry. But our society says, that's fine. Sorceries. And we think of that, of course, looking back 2,000 years, some of us may have the view, oh, it's like mixing up spells in a, in a pot, and oh, they're going to cast a spell or something. No, sorceries has to do with drug abuse. They abuse drugs so they could have hallucinations. Our society becomes more and more okay with that, more on board with abusing drugs. Hatreds, contentions, and jealousies. Oh, we've got to have a fight. We've got to have some kind of drama. And... That's just how that goes. Our world stirs up dramas and things. That's how you get news stories. This one's mad at this one. Or this one thinks this one's going to do something else. Headline news for tonight. All right, they say that's normal. Outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions. Gathering up riches for themselves. Going against God. I mean, it happened 50 years ago, but wasn't that sort of the headlines on the magazines? God is dead. That's heresy. That's a dissension against God. And yet that's what they've published as being normal. Okay. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Just all of these things that have been abusing. If you could boil all these down, they are abusing the gifts that God has given us. Whether it's our mind, whether it's items on the earth, whether it's our bodies, we are abusing the things that God has given us, and it leads to bad fruit. What about the good fruit, though? We don't have to walk in these things. We don't have to. We're not sentenced to the works of the flesh. Verse 22 and 23 talks about the good fruit, the good things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Think about this. The fruit of the Spirit, number one, is love. Am I showing that in my life as Christians, right? We're loving God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments, right? We're going to see that. Our neighbors, our friends, our family is going to see that we love God in the way that we speak, in the way that we treat them, also in the way that we treat our spouse, we treat one another. There's love. Is there joy in my life? Now, joy doesn't mean I'm happy all the time, but joy has to do with my mindset. I'll be content. There's a peace. Isn't that what this world needs so much of? Peace. There's fightings and wars. You know, there's peace in Christ. Peace that passes all understanding, Paul will say in the book of Philippians. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's always an interesting thing to think about. He talks about you have peace, long-suffering, or patience. That comes 
Not, not, there's not an easy way to, to get that. Uh, we talk about, oh, there's folks that pray about it and say, Lord, give me patience, but just give it to me now. Right? No, you can't have it now. The idea of long-suffering is you have suffered long to have this trait. It has happened to you. We have to be able to be patient with one another. Work with them. Bear with them. They are our brethren, after all. We're all we've got. So let's be patient with one another and work together. But what type of tree am I going to be, right? Which one am I looking like? When we're examining others and they're saying, I'm in the truth, I'm following Christ. Jesus gives us this example. What, what type of fruit are they bearing? What does it look like they're doing? Do we love him? Will we follow him? You know, John said, uh, John brought a similar message in the book of Luke in chapter 3. And turn there with me. Look at Luke chapter 3. John goes right at the Pharisees. Of course, Jesus would go up and get after them later. But John the baptizer, while he was here on earth, he went right after the Pharisees. After all, they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. They're supposed to have it. Um, they're supposed to be conducting themselves in a way that would be an example to the nation. But he says to these multitudes that came out to be baptized, he called them brood of vipers. You bunch of poisonous, wicked snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham unto our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What did his cousin say a couple years later? Right? Jesus Christ said in Matthew seven nineteen, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Same message. Same teaching. We need to understand there will be retribution for the things that we do here on earth. I can't just get away without obeying Christ forever. That's what these folks were trying to do. And they argued, well, we're the sons of Abraham after all. And that's sort of how folks argue today. Well, you know my grandpa, you know my grandma, you know my parents. And we're a good family that tries to follow Christ. So cut me a little slack here. John says, I don't care who your daddy was. If you're not going to follow me, you're getting cut down and thrown to the fire. Right? Do you worried about who your family is? God can make people from nothing. So who your family is doesn't matter. It's who are you obeying? Who are you following? John says you can repent. Jesus says you can repent and follow him. But it has to be done that way. We can't argue based on our family and our roots. And I know back home that's a big thing. may not be as big around here, but, oh, who's our lineage? Who is my grandpa? Oh, he was in the war and, and all this. And, oh, aren't we great people of the community? Jesus says it don't matter. We have to obey him. Will I say it or will I do it? That's another question. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. In that day, in the day of judgment, he's given them a little picture. Not every man that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now wait a minute. He just got done saying, don't you come down here telling me, Lord, Lord. Do it. Now these folks coming in saying, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who practice iniquity. Interesting thing about this verse, Jesus never denied they did it. Did you notice that? They came to the Lord. They said, we've been prophets for you. They said, we perform miracles in your name. Jesus didn't say, you're a bunch of liars. You never did that. He didn't say that because they had. But what they hadn't done was fully followed him. He said, I never knew you. You practice iniquity or lawlessness. You never fully followed the law. Yes, you did these things. Yes, you were my prophet at one time. Yes, you did many wonders at times. But you never fully followed me. And that's why you're going to have to pass away. That's why you're not going to have to be with me. You're going to have to depart, pass from this place. Will I say it alone or will I do it? John talks about how we're going to know love in 1 John chapter 3. And he brings up this same kind of point. 1 John the third chapter in verse 16 down to verse 19. By this we know love. John wanted them to understand what true love was about. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How are we going to know love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. How are we going to know love? It's whenever I give myself to others. It's whenever I do more than just say it. Now, now speaking it and having proper words is important. It'll only be foul mouth. But more than that, in deed and in truth, it's, it's got to happen in my life. Questions often has been asked and posed to me as something to consider, maybe something to help you. Consider our lives and think about it this way. If we were to be persecuted and killed for obeying Christ and following the truth, would there be any evidence to condemn you? When they set you up on trial, would there there be anything for them to say, well, this person's been following Jesus Christ? Or would there be nothing there? We need to act in a loving way, just as John talks about, that we love in deed and in truth. Will I say it or will I do it? And it finally closes with this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. What kind of builder will I be? Right? Jesus is building towards a point. He's, saying, he's basically teaching them over and over again about five or six times. And I know it seems kind of redundant, but it's different areas in life. We're at a crossroads. We have to decide time and time and time again. Will I just mouth the words or will I do what he's told me? Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27, he gives this parable. Hear these, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it did not fall for it was founded upon the rock. But then you have another man. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them 
I will liken him unto a foolish man built his house on the sand. Now the rains descended, floods came, winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Again, two different men, two different builders. You had the one who heard and obeyed. That's the point of it. He's not trying to teach them about how to build houses. His point is teaching them about hearing and obeying. If you hear and obey, you're like the wise man that built on a strong foundation that when tested, it stood. And so that house continued on. Then you had a man, all he did was just listen. He just showed up and listened, which is good. It's a good start. You need to listen to the truth. But then he never obeyed it. For whatever reason, he ignored it. Didn't want to follow it. He says, this is like a foolish man who built his house on the stand. When the day of testing came, that the rains came down, the winds blew on it, the house fell, and great was its fall. It was a great tragedy because his house was lost. He's not talking about a house. He's talking about their life. This man's entire life was a waste because he did not obey Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? These builders didn't go out and build 47 subdivisions out here. They just built the one house. They built one. We have one life. They built one house. Now where are you building this house? Here's his invitation. Here's the Lord's invitation. You have a house you're building. Where are you going to build it? Will you build it on obedience to the truth or will you build it on whatever you want to do? And I tell you this, many have listened to the invitation and have turned away. They've ignored. And there are those who have passed on from this life still ignoring the Lord's invitation. And it's tragic because that's the only life they've got. This builder, he built his house. It was the only house. And he's gone. It was lost forever. Friends, we're here to encourage you. We're here to help you. Well, the Lord Jesus gives us teaching. Some of them are very sharp teachings, and some of them are very encouraging. But each one is there to help us. So what will you decide to do this morning? Will you be a wise builder? that builds on the truth and obeying Christ? You know, the Lord Jesus has asked us to follow him. How has, he, how has he shown us this? He says we have to believe that he is the son of God. John 8 verse 24, the Lord Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am God. That's what he's saying. Unless you believe he is God, you will die in your sins. We need to repent. Luke 13 and verse 3. There... Jesus is talking about folks who had perished when a tower had fell upon them. And he asked, were these folks who died when a tower fell upon them any worse sinners than anybody else in the nation? And he said, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It doesn't mean a tower is going to fall on everybody. He means you will have a catastrophic end to your life like the man whose house fell down on. It'll be a catastrophic end. Because you left this world not obeying Jesus Christ. Will you repent of your sins? Turn away from it. Don't be involved in it any longer, but obey Christ. Confess your faith in him. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 10, that if you confess me before men, 
him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. You need to be baptized. Lord Jesus tells us in Mark 16 and verse 16, that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. You believe and are baptized, you can be saved. That can be for you this day. Don't keep going down the broad way anymore. Don't keep following that. It's just going toward destruction. Your house is going to be destroyed on you. The Lord Jesus loves you and that he has to tell you hard things. Like I need to repent. He has to tell us that. But because he wants to help us. So if you need to be baptized into him this day, let's do that. Take care of it. Perhaps you have done this, but I've been playing the hypocrite. And I need to repent of that. That's something you need to take care of between you and the Lord that you have thought about and done. Then you need to repent of that and pray for forgiveness. If it's something that you need to inform the congregation about. Because like Ezekiel said, you've caused the name of the Lord to be blasphemed here. And you've brought shame on brethren. And you need to repent of that publicly to let that be known. You're no longer doing that. Let it be known. Let's be right with Jesus Christ. This is not being harsh or critical or judgmental. I care about your soul. And I don't want to see you like the foolish man have his house fall down on you. I want to see your house stand so that you can be there in heaven. So if you're subject to the invitation this day, please come while we sing.